Okay. Um, all of you should, if you haven't gotten it yet and you want to take communion today, um, at the table there, Taylor was handing them out. If you do not have one, raise your hand and Taylor will run one over to you. Uh, I just have a couple announcements for you really quick. Uh, first off, we have our groups that are going to be starting up. They'll start the week of January 10th, and uh, they're going to be virtual groups. You can sign up on the website in the app. So if you go on there, you'll click community groups, and then it'll take you into where you can register. So um, they're both up now, so you can feel free to jump in there. We have right now seven groups. We may have eight. Um, so you'll pick the night that will work for you. Uh, if you know a group leader that you want to jump in their group, um, you'll just register then. They'll be contacted, um, and then you can jump in that way. The, the study that we're doing is Ephesians, and we're going to spend about 10 weeks going through the book of Ephesians, and it's a, it'll be a pretty in-depth study, and I think you guys will really like it. Uh, it's a great book, and, uh, and, and I think one of those kind of Christian living life kind of formation books. And so uh, it was a very powerful book for me um, in my Christian faith and my development. And we're just going to take our time and work through that. So you can sign up in those groups. Just remember, it should be pretty easy. You can sit at your house. You can just log in and, uh, and then you can just jump into the group. So um, secondly is if you are a dirt bike rider, four-wheeler, off-roader, we are going to be going to DIRT this year, and DIRT is run by Hume Lake, uh, and it's something that we've done for years as a church. Uh, if you're at all concerned about it being safe, uh, DIRT is probably the safest activity you could possibly do. You're just putting on your helmet and dirt biking and riding around, and so uh, last, I, I was told by one of the guys that the family DIRT, which is where families will go out and dirt bike, it was their largest group they've ever had. I'm assuming dirt's going to be the same way. So the way you can do that, we'll have up today on our app and our website, uh, just a link click through to dirt to sign up and it, you'll sign up directly with Hume Lake, but it'll bring you right to the registration page. Just let us know when you sign up so we know uh, who's in our group. And so that's something that'd be really cool. It's going to be, I only have a little bit of bad news with it. Uh, it's going to be over, uh, the 12th through the 14th of February. The 14th is obviously Valentine's Day. So uh, if you want to come home early on Saturday night, I'm sure a bunch of guys will come home so they're not in trouble being gone on Valentine's Day. If you're someone and your spouse or significant other is okay with it, then you can stay through all the way through Sunday as well um, and then make your way home. So but I would recommend that anybody who's interested, even if you're just starting to get into off-roading or you have somebody that has a motorcycle and they'll let you take it, it's a great trip for just to be around other guys and get to know each other a little bit more. And this last thing I'm going to do before uh, Chad gets up and, and starts a two-part series we're going to do is our communion. So you guys all have these. And feel free, pull that foil without ripping and spilling grape juice all over you. So be very careful as you do it. I have to kind of remind myself. But we take communion on the first uh, Sunday of every month. And if for us, it's a time just to sit, be focused, and spend some time and just remember what Christ did. Um, you know, we just celebrated Christmas and the impact of Christ coming into our life. And we're heading towards Easter, of which, you know, these instructions he gave his disciples as he was 
going to uh, his start his journey to the cross and to resurrection. But we take communion, and, and the Bible says that as often as you eat, remember what Christ did for you. And and, and it is a mindfulness that we want to have. But what we're going to do today is we're going to read this account that Paul is telling these new believers after Christ has been uh, crucified and res- resurrected to remind them about what he did on the cross. And just in the simple act of taking the bread and drinking like the juice is a reminder of that his body was broken for us, given up, and his blood was shed for our sins, and that he was resurrected and brought back to life. So let me read this passage. It's in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, and it says, For I have received from the Lord what I also handed to you, that the Lord Jesus on that night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it and in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so God has established a new covenant with us, his people, He has brought us into his family. And so in this moment, I'm going to pray and then take a moment and then feel free to uh, eat the bread and, and, and drink the juice. And just in remembrance of what he's done for you, I think when I take communion for me, I just find myself in complete gratitude and remembrance of where I was before I found Christ or he found me and then who I am now and what God has done in my life and the security I have that Christ made a way where there was no other way. God established a new relationship, a new covenant that cannot be broken, that is done and done for good, and nothing can change it and nothing can shake it. And so as you do that, um, there are lots of things you can think about when you think about taking communion, but I want to encourage you just to be in a mindset of gratitude and uh, appreciation for what Christ did and has done and continues to do in our life. So let me pray, and then feel free to, at any moment, you know, take these elements, and then Chad will be up in a second. God, we love you, and we thank you so much. We ask, God, as we eat this bread and drink this cup of this cup, God, that we just have a, a, a total appreciation and remembrance of what you did on the cross, Christ. And we thank you for saving us. We thank you that you made a way that was impossible. And God, I thank you that along with that is this commitment you have to us. But God, help us in this moment recommit and remember this covenant on our side too. That we're committed to you, we're committed to serve, and we're committed to... uh, be more like you, Christ. So thank you for everything that you have done in our life. Thank you for today. And God, I thank you for even just this year as we optimistically, hopefully look forward to what you have in store for us, God, that we, this year, be a year we don't stand on the sidelines, God, but we are very active in movement for you. 
And God, that this be a year of growth for all of us. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Feel free to partake in the chat. I'll be up here in a second. You put the stand right there just in case. Good morning. It's cold today. I, I was, uh, wasn't planning on, on, on preaching in this jacket, but I don't know if you guys, I'm, I'm still cold. Um, Happy New Year. How is everyone? Good, good. A little, a little cold. What are our New Year's resolutions? We got any? Let, let, let me hear some if you're, if you're bold enough. Sewing. Yeah, that's right. Sarah sewed her first thing just yesterday, right? Yeah, very excited. Very excited. There's a long pile of, of some stuff I'm, I'm hoping to get mended, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyone else? Any New Year's traditions or New Year's resolutions you've got? Not yet? Still working on them, right? There's always a general weight loss, go to the gym, eat healthier, all of that, read my Bible more, all of those, drink more water. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny, I've said it before, but, but there's some of those things that you just need that kind of like, that, that, that kick in the pants, that, that inspiration. And for me, it's always running shoes, water bottle, journal, Bible. I don't buy because I need them, I buy because I need something to motivate me to, to use them. And so sometimes that new one, and it feels exciting. Um, you know, I heard my favorite New Year's resolution is uh, my brother Nick has decided that uh, he's going to do this tradition of every Sunday bake some sort of sweet, like a cookie or something for us to enjoy. And that's the kind of New Year's resolution I like, you know, because that's one we can all commit to. We will partake in those, in those good goodness. Um, hey, so today Ryan mentioned that we are starting a new uh, little mini-series, two-week series on a, a book that I love. Um, it's the book of Habakkuk, right? Now, a lot of people haven't even heard of this book, and that's one of the reasons why I do love it, is because there is uh, such value in this, such significance, such power in this book, such a relatable factor in this book, and yet for a lot of us, it's in that list of minor prophets that just, we can't pronounce the name, so we don't even know how to get into it, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, so we're going to get into it in a bit, but you know, usually... And if you have this time, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Habakkuk. We're going to walk through this text, the first chapter, and we're going to walk through it together. And it'd be great if you could read it with me, if you could have it in front of you. But uh, usually, most people don't even realize it, but they know one phrase, one thing about Habakkuk. And it's the phrase that the righteous shall live by faith. Paul quotes it in his, in his book to the Romans that the righteous shall live by faith, but it, it gets used and repeated and kind of turned into a bit of a Christian cliche that we, we know this phrase, and it comes from this book, but the book speaks to that phrase, but so much more so if we actually enter into the text and enter into um, the character of Habakkuk and the, the questions he's having and the narrative that we'll find there. But real quick, before I, before I kind of begin to get into this text, there's one thing I want to kind of define, and it's the word faith. It's one of those words that's so simple that we maybe don't even feel like we need to uh, define it, but I think we do, especially for how we're going to use it today. Because a lot of what we're going to read today, you might say, well, that seems like the opposite of faith. But I want to argue that it is out of his profound faith that Habakkuk begins to question God. 
we, we titled it in social media something like the, the faith to ask questions. The real title I want to say is the faith to question God. That just seemed a little intense for social media, so we, 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 we made it a little softer. But we'll see in here, Habakkuk has this incredible faith, this such strong, solid, grounded faith that he actually begins to question God. And we'll look at what that means. But the definition I want to give you for the word faith is that faith is believing that God is who he says he is. That sounds simple. I guarantee you its effects are profound. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is. And we find who he says he is in Scripture. So as we look at the Scriptures, we see God teaching about who he is. And faith is believing that. Believing it enough into action that God is who he says he is. Let me pray, and then we're going to get started. Dear Heavenly Father, as we open this, this book of Habakkuk, Lord, I pray that we see ourselves in him. We see ourselves in his conversation as we have questions, as we are overcome by things we see around us in the world, and we're trying to, to figure out how those fit within our understanding of you, Lord. I pray that we take his example, his lead, and we learn how to healthily, uh, with reverence, bring questions to you. Thank you for this church and that we are able to gather here today. Amen. So Habakkuk, as I mentioned, is, is uh, what's considered a minor prophet in the Old Testament. Um, not minor because of his stature or because of uh, his work or his, his ministry. Uh, it's literally when we say the minor prophets, it's just because th- those books are smaller. It's just the length of the book. It's, it's, we're only doing two weeks because it's pretty short. I think it's only three chapters. Uh, the major prophets are... Jeremiah, Isaiah, the books that are just longer. So if you hear that phrase, minor prophet, major prophet, it's just literally the length of their book. Now, it's interesting, something I want to highlight, uh, something I want to define for us again is this word of prophet, because I think uh, we have such a a, a skewed understanding of that role, Um, especially if we're talking about that role from a, a biblical perspective. And I think what it is is that that word prophet, we, or the office, or the role of prophet, we have uh, kind of looked at one of the minor pieces of it that's pretty fantastic, pretty incredible, and we've defined the entire role by that. And what I'm talking about is, is fortune-telling, right? When we think of a prophet, that person's a prophet, or someone to speak prophecy, we all would assume we're saying that someone is speaking about something that is to come. They're fortune-telling. But that is one of the smallest, most minor roles that they do. It is not their main point. More than foretelling the future, the role of a prophet that we find in the scriptures is forthtelling, is speaking from a divine perspective about what's going on right now, not what's coming about in a generation, in years, speaking about what's going on right now. Now, usually they're commissioned by God, and so it's not just someone having a word about about society. It's funny, I always joke that Dominic, our, our old youth pastor, that he's, he's a prophet in my mind, in that role. Once again, I don't think he's necessarily would say he's been commissioned by God in that. But even when coronavirus was starting, I remember talking with him and, and I was just kind of talking about how my life was different. And, and all he could talk about was the lack of Sabbath that Christians practice. And he was just saying like, I, I, you know, although he didn't wish coronavirus was happening, he said, I, I can imagine this being a season where Christians would learn to take planned rest. 
And that's an example of a prophet is, is they're looking at society, especially the church, and they are, are, are making these evaluations from what they understand in Scripture of saying, I think we're missing the mark here. It's almost more of a social criticism within the church. That's really the primary role of a prophet. Occasionally, that also includes something that is to come. But even that is not really fortune-telling because we've known about that since Moses. You see, one of the main roles of the prophet is that they are kind of keepers of the covenant. There's two main covenants that, that believers have. The first is the covenant of Abraham, which God said to Abraham, I will be your God, and through you I will bless the entire world. Now, that was an unconditional covenant. God just said, I'm doing that whether you want it or not. But with Moses at Mount Sinai, with the people, is very, very different. He said, you will be my people. That part's unconditional, Israel. But as we go into this land, if you choose to follow my law, follow my words, follow my commands, if you choose to worship and continue to worship and serve me, I will bless you with this land and with, and with prosperity in that land. But this comes from Mount Sinai. If you turn away from me, if you become like every nation that surrounds you, serving their gods and, and beginning to live in their corrupt manner, well, then I will take this blessing away from you. So when all of the prophets come and, and, and they come to Israel and they say, we are missing the mark here. We've forgotten the covenant here. And if we don't turn this around, God's going to take us from this land. Yes, you could say it's fortune telling, but at the same time, what they're pointing back to is what has been written in the book of Moses since the beginning, is that they are under this covenant, this blessing. So that is the primary role that all of the prophets fill, is they come as a spokesman from God and say, we have forgotten our covenant from Mount Sinai. And we need to return or God is going to take this from us. The later prophets around uh, the contemporaries of Habakkuk, they are actually given direct words from God that have said, it's gone too far, I am taking you from this land, but I will bring some back. And that ends up being what's called the Babylonian exile. The nation of Babylon comes in and conquers Judah. Assyria conquers the northern tribes of Israel and, Judah con and Babylon conquers the southern tribes of Judah, conquer Jerusalem and take them into exile for 70 years. When Persia conquers Babylon, they get sent back. And this is the, the prophet. This is the role of the prophet, is to declare this news. Now, they all fought it. Jeremiah most so. He had the worst task, and he fought his calling, because no one wants to go to their own people and say, we've abandoned God, he is abandoning us. No one wants to go to them and, and say, we're going to be taken from this land. Now, Habakkuk is in that office, but he has a little bit different voice, a little bit different tone or perspective. You'll hear that now, is that he's not speaking necessarily to the people. He is speaking to God himself. So I want to start jumping into this, remembering that definition of faith, that faith is believing who God says he is. And, and as, we, as we read this, I want you to try and grasp what's going on in Habakkuk's life. It reads, the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. By the way, I'm reading in the NRSV, um, the New Revised Standard Version, but whatever uh, Bible you have, I, it's always great to compare translations. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, this is Habakkuk speaking to God. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And will you not listen? 
or cry to you violence, and will you not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. So here's what I want to ask us as we begin to work through this text. When, fellow Christians, when are we right to question God? When are we right to question God? When are we allowed to question God? Now, I'd love a little bit of response in this. I know it can kind of be hard or far away and all of that. But what questions do we hear Habakkuk raising here? If you were to sum them up in your own words. Verses 1 through 3 especially. What questions do we hear? When we see injustice, and what's his question? Why do you allow it? Right? I'm seeing injustice all around me. Why do you allow it? And he's speaking primarily to Israel, his own nation, the chosen people of God who should be living by God's command. He's speaking to them and he's saying, to God, why are you allowing this? Now, it's interesting because we can read that as just this question off the top of our heads and and, and some of us might even get defensive and say, well, we shouldn't question God, right? Don't question God, just, just obey. Don't question God, obey. But I need you to hear that when this comes from a perspective of faith, this is actually incredible. This is beautiful because there's an expectation there, right? Two questions I get from Sarah a lot. One, why aren't you home on time? Two, why aren't your clothes picked up? Um, both those questions she asked me because there's an expectation that I should be home when I say I'll be home and that I should, you know, pick up my clothes more often. I'm sorry, that, that's just personal from us, but, but that's true, right? Those are questions, but they're not just asked. She doesn't ask me why I, I, I don't play soccer because she knows that I don't play soccer. She does. She's the soccer player, right? There are different expectations that, that are, are behind that question. She's asking that question out of an expectation. Well, in the same way here, let's think about these. Let's think about these questions Habakkuk asks and see that they're actually born out of his unshakable faith of who God is. Who God is from what he sees in Scripture. So let's look at this. He says, how long shall I cry for help and you not listen? That is based on his expectation of Habakkuk saying, I believe you to be a God who listens to our cries for help. It is born out of that expectation, that faith. He says, you are a God who hears me. We cry to you, violence, and will you not save? Habakkuk saying, I believe you to be a God who will save his people from violence. Or make me see wrongdoing and be surrounded by sin. He says, I believe you to care about righteousness more than I do. The reason he's asking these questions is because he's saying, from who I know you to be from the scriptures, I'm seeing an incongruence. I'm seeing a conflict in society around me. And I'm questioning, I'm asking, God, why aren't you doing something about this? Let's keep reading. So this first thing of when are we right to question God, just what are kind of our lessons that we can learn from Habakkuk is we question God out of our faith of who he is, not out of our expectations of who we want him to be. We can ask questions of God out of our faith of who his scripture says he is. Let's look at verse 5. This is God's first response. 
to Habakkuk's question. He says, look at the nations and see. Be astonished, be astounded, for a work is being done in your days that you would not believe if you were told. I am doing something. I am doing something on a massive scale, looking at the nations. A work is being done that if I told you, you wouldn't even believe it. This one's quick, but just a, it's our second little lesson we can learn about when we are right to question God. This number two here is humbly understanding and acknowledging that our scope is limited. So when we are to bring a question to God, first we are questioning him against the expectations that he puts forth in Scripture. We're questioning him against our faith of who his Scripture says he should be. But number two, in that questioning, we come humbly and we understand and acknowledge that our scope is limited, that what we can see is limited, and that God is bigger than our scope. Okay, let's keep going on this uh, response from God, but you, ha you have to hear it because it's the last answer he was expecting and the last answer he wanted. He said, God, there's so much injustice in Israel. Why are you letting this happen? And listen to God's response. For I am rousing the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the tribes who formed Babylon. So he says, I am, rise, I, am, I, I am rousing Babylon, that fierce and impetuous nation who marched through the breadth of earth to seize dwelling not of their own. Dread and fearsome are they. Their justice and dignity precede them. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're more menacing than wolves at dusk. Their horses charge. Their horsemen come from far away, they fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. With faces pressed forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and of rulers they make sport. They laugh at every fortress and heap up earth to take it. They, then they sweep uh, by like the wind. They transgress and become guilty. Their own might is their God. Okay, hear this out. He's questioning to God. Why are you not doing anything about the injustice, the violence, the evil I see within Israel? And God's response is, oh, Habakkuk, there's this horrible, terrible, conquering nation named Babylon, and they eat up everything. They conquer nations and laugh at it. They make their own might, their own God, and they're coming. That's his answer? That's God's answer to Habakkuk's question of what are you doing about the injustice I see in Israel. Now, so this, is, this, this keeps building. This is a dialogue. This wasn't just Habakkuk had one question, here's God, one answer. So we just got to keep this all in mind, especially this, this idea that faith is believing that God is who he says he is. So let's watch this continue to play out back and forth. As, as, as Habakkuk says, what? That's, that's not what I'm asking for. I'm asking for a spiritual revival. Habakkuk responds, starting in verse 12. Are you not from of old? O Lord my God, my Holy One, you shall not die. Aren't you everlasting, right? You, I'm speaking to the right guy here, right? You are eternal. You are powerful. You are everlasting. O Lord, you have marked them, speaking of Israel and Judah, for judgment. And you, O Rock, have established them for punishment. Verse 13 here, your eyes are too pure to behold evil, and you cannot look on wrongdoing. So why do you look on the treacherous 
and are silent when the wicked swallow those who are more righteous than they. You have made people like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, he's just saying, God, aren't you eternal? Aren't you the holy one? Aren't you the one who, who we read of your love for your people? And the one who is supreme and more powerful than all? Aren't you that one? And don't you care about evil? I, I'm trying to process this together, how some conquering army from Babylon is going to be the answer to this injustice and this evil that I see around me. He sees the world in chaos, and he said, I see the people of the world almost like fish in the sea, just swarming, like crawling things that have no ruler. Verse 15, the enemy, speaking of Babylon, this is Habakkuk still, he says, Babylon brings all of them the fish of the sea, up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his scene. It's a, a big dragging net. He says, so he rejoices and exults. Habakkuk sees the people of the world like swarming fish. And he says, and Babylon is, is like this big net that is just devouring nation after nation after nation that can't be stopped. Verse 16, therefore he, speaking of Babylon, sacrifices to his net. And makes offering to his scene, to his, his dragging net. He says, not only are they worse than Israel is right now, Habakkuk's saying, but they're so prideful, they pride themselves in their ability to conquer. They pride themselves in their ability to oppress other nations. They praise and worship their net at scooping up people. For by them, these fishing nets, his portion is lavish and his food is rich. Is he, once again, speaking of Babylon, is he then to keep on emptying his net and destroying nations without mercy? God, how long are you going to let this happen? How is that your answer to the injustice of Israel? Okay, now you hear this dialogue going back and forth. And once again, it's so important to remember that he's asking this out of his faith of saying, I know who you present yourself to be in the scriptures. And so that's why I'm, I'm, I'm confused about the, the conflict, the incongruence that I'm seeing in this world, and especially with your answer that is not, that's not appeasing me right now, not appeasing my, my fears. you got to hear this last verse in 2.1. Underline it if you've got your Bible and a pen, because this is key to it all. Because I think the issue when we get defensive about don't question God is not the act of asking a question. It's the attitude and it's the posture. And as I said, Habakkuk's posture and his attitude has been reverent, has been humble, has been faithful. And it's summed up best in this verse right here. He asked this question of how is Babylon your answer? And then he says, I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. Rampart was a portion of the wall that, that guards could stand on. To do what? To watch the horizon. I will stand at my watch post. I will station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer me concerning my complaint. Now, I think that posture is huge because there's a difference between just complaining and complaining with this expectation or questioning with this expectation of, of God, I can't wait to see what you do with this situation. And I, I hear what you're saying. That doesn't really make sense to me. But I'm going to stand patiently and wait. 
I'm going to stand like a guard on that, that wall with my eyes on the horizon day and night, expectant that you are going to do something about this injustice, about this evil. And now you're talking about Babylon. I'm expecting you're going to do something about that. He stands out there. You know, people often talk about faith as a blind leap, right? Just, just this blind leap of action. And, and this example, I love it because the furthest from that, it is an expectant waiting and watching that's not just based on, on blind faith. It's based on who I know God to be. I know God to be good, compassionate, just. Just is a huge one for Habakkuk. Is how does that bring justice? That when I see oppression, I can look and say, I know God to care about that. So God, I'm going to lift that up in prayer, but then I'm not going to forget about it and walk away. I'm going to stand on my rampart and keep eyes on the horizon and remember this. Hold on to it and say, God, what are you going to do about this? Praying about it. Looking to God as your hope, as your salvation. Now, we're not really worried about Babylon right now, but we might have our own fears. We might have our own concerns. We might look around at at the church, at society, at the nation, at the world, and we might say, I see these issues, and, and I know God to care about them. We are revealed about who God is and what he cares about through Scripture, and most so through Christ, through God in the flesh. So say, when I study the character and the person of Jesus, I know him to care about these things. And so I'm going to stand on my rampart and watch the horizon. God, what are you going to do about that? So this third thing of, of how we question God, whenever we write questions, that we stand expectantly. And I'm going to be honest, I am convicted by the lack of time I stand on that rampart. I will ask questions to God, for sure. I will question his, his, his goodness when something happens. I will question um, his compassion when I see oppression happen. But that's one thing. What Habakkuk shows here is this posture. Uh, uh, his faith is what says, I'm going to stand on that ram- rampart. Because it's not just, why did you let this happen? Why is this happening in the world? It's, I know you to be someone who redeems so I'm going to keep eyes on the horizon and expect your redemption. And once again, I'm just saying I'm convicted. I don't spend that much time on the rampart. I will raise my complaint. I will raise my question when I'm upset about something, when I see something in society, or nation, or the world that, that hurts. I'll, I'll raise those. But do I stay mindful of it and remain on the rampart and ask that expectantly. God, I can't wait to see what you do because I know you to be good. I know you to be faithful to your word and I know you are a God of redemption that is steering creation towards redemption. So I can't wait to see what you do. So what does it look like to watch the horizon of God's redemption? If you got a pen, I'd write that one down. That's a question to reflect on personally as we leave here. What does it look like to watch the horizon of God's redemption? Whatever the scenario is in your life, even if it's, if it's family fighting and, 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 and that happening, do you just complain to God about it once and, and, and go your way and forget about it? Or do you say, 
God, I'm going to pray for this daily. And I'm going to stand on my rampart and watch to see how you can bring redemption to this situation, to this conflict, to this injustice. And I'm a good steward. I'm going to do what I can within my abilities. But more than that, I am expecting that you are the God of redemption in this situation. So what does it look like to watch the horizon of God's redemption? I don't know if you guys watched uh, many Christmas movies this holiday. I only saw a couple, but we watched Christmas Vacation, right? Um, with a Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase, Christmas Vacation. And um, there's this, this scene where he's been working for days on getting all the lights on the roof, right? He gets the whole family out there. Everyone knows this movie, everyone's seen it. He gets the whole family out there with him. They're all drum rolling, singing a song, flips a switch, and nothing happens, right? How long do they stand there with him? 10 seconds, right? They're complaining. It's cold. I, 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 you know, I love was that the grandma says, you know, kids, I hope you see, like, what a waste of a time this is. And the one daughter says, you worked really hard on this, grandma. And she says, so do washing machines, you know. I just, but, but then they're gone. Like, all right, let's go inside. We're done. It took them 10 seconds. That was how much faith they had in him. Now we're talking about Clark Griswold. That's probably as much faith as we can get in him. But when we're talking about God, how much faith do you have in his character that you are willing to wait and meditate on this question, that you stay on the rampart and look out? I've used this a couple times, but it just it hits me so much. I love it. Santa Monica, the town is named after St. Monica, who was St. Augustine's mom, who prayed for 35 years that her son would come to know Jesus. She was a devout Christian. He was not. He was a bit of a party boy in his young life. 35 years she prayed for him and wrote letters to him, everything she could do trying to convince him to give Jesus a chance. Now, here's the beauty in this. When he became a Christian and ended up leading the church, becoming kind of the grandfather of Catholic theology, you could say, who do you think saw God's hand in it most? I'm going to guess it was St. Monica. I'm going to guess it was, it was the, the mom who was praying for 35 years that saw this. You know, this is a biblical theme of, of God using the least of these, right? He picks Gideon, the, 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 the runt of the smallest tribe of Israel, to lead the armies. And a lot of times people ask, why does this, this theme happen? He always picks the least, right? He picks the fishermen to be his disciples, not the people who have made it in the rabbinic you know, uh, uh, educational system. He picks the least likely. And why does he do it? Well, because who else can you give credit to? When great things happen, you don't say, well, that Gideon, you know, he did go to the right military schools, and, and have you seen his stature? And no, you look at Gideon, who was hiding in a hole, and you say, it is by the grace of God and nothing else that that happened. You know, it's funny. Ryan and I knew nothing about planting churches before we planted across the street at Rogers. And uh, we, we took some classes and some seminars after, within our first year or two, and we'd go through all these lists of everything you should do when you're planting a church, and we say, yep, didn't do that, didn't do that, didn't do that, didn't do that. And that allows us to look back, not saying it's a good thing, you should be prepared, but that allows us to look back and say, it is by the grace of God that the church survived. It was 80%, 70 or 80% of churches uh, failed in their first five years. Coming up on year eight, so we're doing all right. But it is by the grace of God only, that the church is around today. Because we made every mistake possible, and yet it, it survived. So it is through understanding 
uh, that, that, that we can have, have faith in this. You know, in contrast to this Griswold, turn on the lights, God, I'm going to raise my complaint, and then I'm going to walk away and forget about it, is this idea of waiting on the Lord. Let me read this passage from Isaiah 40, verse 28 through 31. It says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord, some translations say those who wait on the Lord, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. There is this power that comes from standing in faith and waiting on the Lord, remaining with that, that complaint, that question, and say, God, I am waiting expectantly for what you are going to do and how you will redeem this situation. I can only think of a few times in my life that I've really waited on the Lord. Um, and honestly, uh, like I said, there's this beautiful reward that I get to witness God's work. And if I forgot about it, if I raised a question once and went on my day and forgot about it, then some years later, when God redeems that situation, I don't know if I really would celebrate that as his work. Because I probably just wouldn't have noticed. But when I spend daily prayer waiting on God, how are you going to do this situation? You know that you are going to be praising God for his work in that situation more than anyone else. Because you have been on the rampart. You've been expectant. To be completely honest, I'm in a bit of uh, a waiting on the Lord right now, as I think a, a lot of people are within the church, and especially in the leadership of the church, of where are we going to be, right? Um, we were at Rogers and got kicked out on our, you know, outside of our control because of coronavirus, and the city finally let us get a permit, and that's, that's great. But it is cold, and uh, we're missing a lot of our people, and, and we realize a lot of that is because we, we can't have kids program. That goes against it. Perfect example. So if you want to exercise this, as a perfect example. How can you join in waiting on the Lord for how he is going to bring about a fruitful season to this church that is expectantly waiting? Now, we're working, too. We're not waiting for a blind call. We're working for options and trying to figure out solutions of, of where we can meet, where we can do worship again. But at the same time, we are praying and expecting that God is the one who's going to redeem this situation and bring us to a place where we can, can do worship again. That's an example of what it looks like to wait on the Lord. Ryan's going to keep going with this book next week, starting with 2-2, and we'll hear a little bit more uh, of their dialogue back and forth, but I hope you hear his posture this is not questioning in a reverent way. This is questioning out of the highest reverence, out of the highest respect for who God is. He holds that so firm, and that is where he raises this question, is out of his faith of who he knows God to be. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are given your word, and as a church community, we reflect on who you are. So Lord, I pray that we exercise faith, that we hold who you say you are with such a, a strong faith that when we see injustice, when we see an incongruency or a conflict with who we know you to be, Lord, that we get on our rampart and we, we study the horizon saying, God, I know you to care about this more than I do. And I cannot wait to see how you redeem 
this situation. Lord, I pray that leads to us being able to celebrate your work and celebrate your acts of redemption in our lives, in our church, in our community, our nation, and our world. Be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen.